1: Hey, everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff, and today Aaron, Greg, and I are going to talk about mountain bike photography. We're going to share some of our tips for taking great photos of mountain bikes. So let's jump right in. Aaron, I wanted to ask you, what's your typical photo equipment setup when you go for just like a regular everyday ride?
2: Well, there's a saying in photography that the best camera is the one that you have with you so just general everyday riding I've got my phone with me at all times pretty much 24 hours a day and since I'm already using that to record my ride and Strava and stuff like that I, I use that to take pictures I have a iPhone 6s right now and it takes really good pictures honestly um, especially if there's good light and kind of struggles and in some tougher lighting conditions but it's a phone so you can only expect too much can't expect too much out of it. But uh, yeah, I mean, if I, so if it's a short ride, I just put it in a waterproof bag and in a jersey pocket. If it's a longer ride, it usually goes in the hydration pack if I'm carrying one of those. But yeah, I mean, that's pretty much the as basic as it gets.
1: What about you, Greg? Again, I
0: carry an iPhone as well all the time. Uh, I have an iPhone SE, which actually has the same camera as the iPhone 6, um, just in a smaller body. Um, but I use a life proof case on my phone and this is a third generation iPhone. I've been using life proof to protect and that's been pretty excellent because I can just stick it in my Jersey pocket, pull it out, take some photos, stick it back.
1: Sweet. Yeah. I'm like you guys too. I'd carry an iPhone. With me on all my rides, and uh, for a while I was carrying it like in a pocket, a jersey pocket, or sometimes I don't know why I would put it in like my shorts pocket. I guess because it's easy to get it out. But I had a crash a few weeks back on the road. It was on my mountain bike, but it was on the road, and uh, I fell right on the phone, and it broke the screen and broke the camera. And anyway, yeah, I had to spend a lot of money to fix my <laughs> iPhone. Broke the bank. Yes. So. Um, now I'm, I'm making sure that I put it in my fanny pack, which I really like for, honestly, for photo reasons. Um, the fanny pack is great because you can just twist it around, unzip the pocket and grab your phone or your camera really quickly. So that's sort of the pack situation for me right now. So do you guys have a different setup for when you're taking more pro photos? Like if you're going on a destination trip or covering for something for single tracks, Aaron, what's your, what's your pro setup like?
2: Well, I I should say I'm not a pro photographer by any means, but, um, I have a Nikon one series camera and it's a great little camera. It's an interchangeable lens camera, so there's a lot of different options for it. I have two different lenses for it. I have a, a zoom lens and then a prime lens, so a fixed focal length. It's pretty small. I mean, the lenses, the body of the camera is very small, but the lenses do take up a little bit of space, so it's not quite to the size where you could stick it in a jersey pocket uh, to carry it, so I either have um, I have a little uh, top tube bag from Bike Bag Dude that it fits in nicely that I can take on just Velcro that up to whatever bike I'm riding. So that's a handy way to keep it close by. And I also have like a soft bag that I can use for it if I'm carrying a hydration pack and I can put it in there. Then I also, I'm getting ready to do a bikepacking race down in Florida and I'm trying out a fanny pack or whatever you want to call them. Butt bag, that's what I like to call it. Butt bag. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, what's the other... uh, what are, lumbar bags I think is, lumbar, the, is the yes <laughs> like politically correct <laughs> term for them now, but yeah. So I got that uh, because this is a this is a race, so I don't want to stop a lot. But there's also going to be opportunity to take some cool photos of alligators and other stuff. Hopefully, so um, yeah. Just like Jeff, I wanted to be able to quickly access the camera, and since I'm using that little top tube bag for food, I figured a fanny pack was a good way to. Have the camera close by, but also be able to get it out of the way when I'm trying to focus on riding and also kind of keep it out of harm's way and keep it from getting swatted on. So yeah, that's that's generally my setup if I'm getting uh, really fancy. I've got a compact travel pod, travel tripod that I got for myself for my birthday this year. It was a birthday gift to myself and uh, and I got a a remote for taking portraits or uh you know, doing some night photography. So yeah, it's a great, great little camera. It's got a really fast shutter speed. So that makes it great for action shots. And it obviously has a much larger sensor than what's on your phone. So it's going to going to do a lot better in broader range of light conditions.
1: Nice. Greg, you mentioned that you also, in addition to your phone, you also have a compact camera. Tell us a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, I just got this uh compact camera this past year and I've been in love with it. So it's a Sony RX100 version three. There's like four or five different versions now. I don't know, but I've got the version three and it is pretty dang excellent. I love it because it's absolutely tiny. Um, It's small enough that I often carry it on recreational rides as well as our pro shoots and our travel features. Even with this camera in a small, in a padded protective case, it takes up about half of my top tube bag. So it's um, truly tiny. Like while it's obviously thicker than a smartphone, the surface area of the camera is actually smaller than iPhone 4, so it's, it's tiny, which I love. But despite being so small, it has a ridiculously fast um, shutter speed. It takes much better photos than my iPhone will ever take. and has a lot more features to play with, like manual focus effects and any variety of things. Again, I probably don't even use it nearly to its full potential. Like Aaron, I'm a self-taught photographer, and I'm learning more things every day. But it's been
1: truly excellent for me. Nice, yeah. For me, I'm still kind of old school, and I carry a, a digital SLR camera. So that's a big camera with oftentimes a heavy lens on it. But it does fit in my fanny pack, so that's good. That's about all it'll fit. It'll fit that in like a tube, and that's a it's a heavy load. But I really like the camera. I mean, it's got obviously it's got fast shutter speed for taking action shots, and yeah, I'd. Just for me, I like the depth of field that you can get from a camera like that with, you know, a longer lens. And so, again, I'm also like these guys. I'm not a pro photographer trying to learn all the time. And, you know, obviously there are a ton of settings and things you can do with that camera. So, yeah, it's definitely a camera I'm still growing into. And then the other thing, like Greg, I use from time to time, I'll use a Garmin Verb, uh, which is like a helmet camera. But what I really like about the Verb is it has a mode where it'll take a photo every five seconds or every one second even uh, during your ride. And so for some trails, like if I'm riding a new trail and um, I want to get some photos, you know, on the trail, I'll mount it up to my handlebar and set it to take a photo. Every few seconds. And then when I get back, what's cool is the photos are all geotagged. So you could actually, you know, pick out the photos you like and put them on a map so people could see exactly where the photo was taken, which, you know, is cool, especially when we're uploading them like to single tracks, uh, where that information is useful to people. And then also, yeah, like Greg, I find that that using the, the helmet camera and having it take sort of continuous shots is really good for getting pictures of me riding, you know, if I'm out alone, but I need a picture of a bike that I'm reviewing, then um, I'll set it up that way. I think I forgot to mention that myself,
0: Jeff, but you're totally right on. I do use a, a GoPro Hero 3 on a tripod to do self-portraits. And maybe I could use an upgrade to the five. But one thing I like about using the, the action cam, like you were saying, is like I use um just shooting it in 4K video and then pull stills out of that video. And that takes more post-production work and more editing. But you're know, then I don't have to worry about trying to hit a remote like as I'm riding by and get the shot just right. Like I can pull the still from the video wherever I want to be. So it's kind of nice if I'm on my own.
2: Yeah, I have a Sony action cam that I use for the, the same purpose and a little mini tripod. But um, that camera actually takes excellent video. But unfortunately, the still picture quality on that is just not really up to par. It's not on par with the the GoPro, which I'm not quite sure why. It's got a really good lens on it and everything. And like I said, the video is awesome. So yeah, unless it's like perfect lighting conditions, uh, the pictures are not always so good which is kind of a bummer
1: yeah so we've talked about the equipment that we use to take mountain bike photos but what makes for a really good mountain bike photo what are some general guidelines for that
2: well you got to have a good subject first right so whether that is the you know the scenery whether it's an awesome landscape you have some beautiful vista at the top of the mountain Or, you know, a really cool feature on the trail or, you know, a friend or yourself who can ride really rad. And yeah, so you want to make sure that first and foremost that the uh, subject of your photo is going to be interesting.
0: Once you have the subject, I think we're going to dive into a few of these things later on too, but you have to follow all the classic rules of photography and you can probably look up a guide online that's going to have more information than we can tell you. But things like framing, um, focusing on color, making sure your lighting is good. Like, you know, you're not shooting in the shade and you've got like good lighting, good time of day. All those things play into it. So on the Single Tracks website, we have a few hundred thousand photos in our database. It's huge. Um, but every week I go through all the photos uploaded to our database and I select shots that you guys submit for our photo of the day feature. And here are a few things I'm looking for. So again, like I said, the basics always need to be dialed. And so good lighting, color, focus, and general image quality. You know, if something's blurry or it's unnatural, or looks over processed, it's like gonna be a no-go. You know, when we talk about composition, you can think about like framing and the rule of thirds and other things like that. And again, you know, you can read several thousand word articles about this on like photography websites. Aaron touched on the subject matter, but you know, one thing I think about subject matter that's really good to think about is like that it's exciting. Whatever's going on is exciting. Like one no-go that I see in the photos a lot of time. Is a lame position on the bike. Like, let's say you've got a mellow trail and you're going down this trail, and the person's just sitting back, upright on the bike and just lollygagging along. Like, that looks boring. You can turn that into a much better shot by making the person much more dynamic on the bike, like looking like they're more engaged with the trail and what's going on. Good scenery is always a plus, but. Another thing that I think is great for our photos that we select is just being creative with the photos that you're shooting, looking at the world in a unique way around you that other people might not see, like taking the time to see something creative. This could be the subject matter in the photo or the angle you take the photo from or any number of things. Like lots of times in magazines, you'll see close cropped in action shots where basically all you see is the rider and a plume of dirt coming off the rear wheel as they're skidding through a corner and you know if those shots are done well then good but adding something more to the photo something that really connects with the viewer can turn a good image into something great so those are a few things i try to look for as we choose photos
2: Right. It's a good point about trying to come up with different angles or just a unique way to look at it because certainly here in the Southeast, we don't have the epic vistas that Greg, you have, for instance, out in Colorado where, you know, you can take a guy riding along a trail and it, if there's boatload of 14,000 foot peaks behind the rider off in the distance, that's going to be a pretty good looking photo no matter what. But yeah, when you get into, you know, kind of heavily wooded areas and places where you maybe don't have the most interesting scenery, it's up to you, the photographer, to find an interesting, you know, a way to make it interesting. So whether that's through, yeah, like you said, where you're shooting the photo from or, you know, how you're framing it or, you know, the editing that you do to it, um, that can really turn an otherwise, you know, boring looking photo or boring looking trail into something interesting.
1: Yeah, that kind of hits on a couple of the things that I've learned too over the years. And, you know, initially for me, I've always been interested in sharing uh, what trails look like. So giving people a sense of what a trail is like, maybe some interesting features on the trail. And initially I would focus on just taking photo of the trail, you know. But I found that those photos are boring. Like you need to have somebody, a person in the shot you know, to give it scale and to give it context and really like make it come alive. And I think Greg, Greg may have mentioned this, but I know that he looks almost all the POD photos that we choose to feature include a rider. Like even if it's the most awesome single track or like the coolest mountain Vista, like if it doesn't have a person in it, it really doesn't connect. And then the other thing that I've learned is to, when I'm taking photos, when someone's taking photos of me riding on a trail, or if I'm Trying to take a photo of someone, I'll recommend that they pose a little bit on the bike. And again, Greg and Aaron kind of touched on this, but you have to like over exaggerate your motions a little bit. Can't be just riding the way that you're riding because it doesn't look good. <laughs> like most of the time, you know, I see photos of me and I'm like, do I really ride like that? And I do. And it's fine. Like it feels natural on the bike and that's the way I ride, but it just doesn't look that exciting or engaging. Um, if I'm just doing my regular motions. So, you know, I'll bend my arms a little bit more than usual or, um, my knees or, you know, lean forward on the bike a little bit more than I might uh, normally do it. So yeah, posing can really help you get a good photo. Another thing with body position that I want to throw in there, and I heard this from a pro photo a few
0: years ago, and I've been trying to take it to my work ever since. And it seems to work out is to go fast. And this might seem obvious, but if the faster that the person in the shot is moving, the more they're going to get into that active position on the bike. If they're going slowly, that's when you get lazy. But the faster you go, the more you try to engage with the trail. The better the person's gonna look on their bicycle. Now, that puts a bigger burden on the photographer to get the shot because they're moving through the shot faster. You know, you've gotta get the focus right, you've gotta get your things lined up. You don't have as much time. So, that requires a photographer to be better. But, you know, that's sort of what it takes to be a good
1: photographer is to be able to capture. That action. Yeah, getting those action shots is tough. And so that's why I, I do slow mo pose. That's my, <laughs> that's my
2: cop out. My problem is uh, I can't keep my damn mouth closed in pictures. I've always definitely subscribed to uh, Greg's reasoning of, of going fast. If you're trying to look like you're going fast, just ride fast. But uh, yeah, I, whenever I do that, apparently my mouth is always hanging open. So that's something I have to be very conscious about.
1: Right. So we talked about some tips for getting great photos. How much work goes into that and what are some some tips, some more tips that you have for really getting good shots?
2: Well, you can put a lot of work into a photo. I mean as, you know, if you look at any, you know, any professional photographer, any two-page spread in bike magazine or something like that, like I mean it could take Months of work. If you're building a line or something, you're you make you're building a jump over a river gap somewhere in Squamish or something. That takes a lot of planning, and so that's the most important thing I would say is just to have a plan in place. You know, if it's trail you know well, you should already have an idea of potential locations for shooting. You should know either cool features or an angle or the backdrop that you have in mind. But if you don't, you know, if it's a new trail to you then you just need to make sure that, you know, people are on board with taking photos because you know sometimes people aren't gonna wanna stop and take photos. So you can't just spring that on them in the middle of the ride. So if your goal is to go out for a ride and come away with some cool photos, I think everyone needs to know that upfront.
0: Yeah. One thing I always try to do, especially on these destination features is balance my shooting with my riding. You know, I've been on some photo shoots where we literally spend two or three hours to cover a mile of trail, you know, and if I'm trying to write an article, like that's not a good experience to write, you know, you can't, cover a 30 mile ride, if that's how much time you're spending shooting. So especially when like I'm trying to create both the photos and the writing, it's a, it's a, it's always a compromise. You know, we've got to stop and we've got to shoot, but we also need to move on and have a good experience to, to share with the world. So trying to find that balance can be really difficult. So it depends sort of what your end goal is. You know, if you're shooting like an advertisement for a magazine, like that's one thing you could spend a week Doing that, um, but if you're trying to shoot a destination feature and cover a lot of terrain, that's something else. So, sort of thinking about your goal works into your plan.
2: Yeah, and if you know the yeah if you if you need to keep moving, you should be familiar with your camera settings. You know, you don't want to be fumbling with it every time you get it out, being like, oh, how do I do this again? So, yeah, definitely know your camera settings very well before you head out into the woods and start taking pictures.
1: What about wardrobe, Aaron? I know you're a bit of a stickler for what people are wearing in their photos.
2: (laughs) I am sorry. You know, I know it it may sound silly, but if you want a good photo, like wardrobe is definitely something you need to consider. You know, really dark colors, like black, dark gray, you know, really dark blues. It can make for a bland photo. And part of the reason is because, you know, you're losing some of the detail and you're losing that feeling of movement. And so you're your shot is just less dynamic. If you if the rider just looks like a dark blob in the middle of a otherwise awesome picture, it's not going to be as strong as it was if the the rider was wearing something more brightly colored to provide some contrast with the background. And that can be I mean usually it's just a jersey. You know dark shorts are typically okay, but yeah, brightly colored jersey can just it just really makes the rider pop. It really makes the rider stand out from the background and uh, you know, really enforces the uh, focal point of your photo.
1: Yeah, along those lines, one of the issues I have with a lot of photos that I take is the writer is, is often in the shadow of the photo. And so, yeah, I think if you have the brighter colors on, it, it's going to help with that a little bit. But also lighting is important, right, Aaron?
2: Yeah, obviously lighting is the biggest, probably one of the most important things with photography because that's how you see the photo is with light, you know, so early in the morning or late in the evening, those kind of the golden hours of the day are the best when the, um, when, you know, the light's coming in low, so you get really long rays and you can really make some, some beautiful pictures that way. Probably the middle of the day is the worst time to take photos because it just flattens the images out and makes them kind of boring.
0: If you're trying to shoot in one specific spot, like a specific corner or a specific feature that you're planning beforehand, thinking about where the sun is going to be in relation to that feature is key to avoiding what Jeff was talking about with the rider ending up in the shade. So you might have a specific corner and it may only get morning sun, and you might need to be there at 7 a.m. to get the shot, or it may only get evening sun and you need to be there at like 8 p.m. So thinking if you have a specific zone you're going to shoot, you got to think about when it's going to catch the light that you want to work
1: with. Yeah. And a lot of people also might want to consider using electric lights. And that sounds crazy. Like you're not going to carry a big lighting rig, but a lot of us already have by lights on our bikes uh, that we use for night riding. And I've found myself in this situation many times where I don't have quite enough light for a photo. So I'll pop on my night rider light and it'll light up the subject uh, really well. So something you might not realize you already have.
2: Yeah. I would say another tip is just to take a lot of photos, you know, unless you're shooting film, you should be taking plenty of them because it's digital. They're easy to erase. And one thing that just drives me crazy is people posting blurry pictures. I mean, even off their phone, like I just don't, unless it's a picture of Sasquatch and that was, you know, it was the only one you could get and you're fumbling to get your phone out, then that's excusable. But otherwise don't post blurry pictures of anything of your kids, of your breakfast, of your bike, of your friend riding. Just can we stop? And also another thing, another PSA out there. Don't, Film videos in portrait mode. <laughs> Sweet Lord. Can we just stop with that? I mean, that's, that's a huge pet peeve of mine because you're cropping off the sides and it's just really not very interesting. And when have you ever gone to a movie theater or bought a TV or a monitor or anything and watched something in portrait mode? You haven't because that's not what we do. So do everyone a favor and turn your phone sideways. All right. I'll get off my soapbox, soapbox now.
1: <laughs> well, phone companies should just make it so that that's right. the way that it records. I mean, it's much easier to hold in portrait mode, but like, yeah, nobody actually wants a portrait style video. I don't think. No.
0: Well, except things are changing now because that's the way everybody shoots it. Like, for instance, Instagram stories, like their live stories or their, whatever their new feature is, like that's all in portrait mode by default like you can't shoot in landscape in that so (laughs) it's funny like they're switching it up on us which doesn't help anybody really
2: right well that's also because that's how they display it right because you can't turn your phone sideways in instagram so that's the limitation there but yeah unfortunately that's only encouraging people to shoot in portrait mode but (laughs) resist (laughs) don't do it i won't watch your video
1: (laughs) Okay, so even if you get a really great photo, there's still some work to be done, right? So how much post-processing do you guys do on your photos? Like, How much editing do you do when you get home on your computer?
2: Um, I do quite a bit. I shoot in RAW as much as possible, so that's a file format. It Basically, what it, it allows you to have much more um, information in your photo so there's a lot more things you can go back and change in terms of color and light um, after the photo is taken where as if you just shoot in straight jpeg mode then the camera is making a lot of those decisions for you so essentially yeah jpeg mode is like uh, the once you get that JPEG off your device, that's already edited somewhat by the camera. So if your camera has the ability to shoot in RAW and you have the ability to edit those or convert from RAW, I would highly recommend doing that because it makes a big difference.
1: What software do you use for that stuff?
2: I mostly use Adobe Lightroom for the majority of my editing. I've found it to be A really powerful tool, but it's also easy to use and it's easy to understand. I've dabbled a little bit with Photoshop also, but I'm very much a novice in that arena and Photoshop is pretty overwhelming. I don't know if you've ever opened it up, but just looking at all the menus and tools and stuff available, it's kind of dizzying.
1: Greg, I know you do a good bit of post-processing on your photos. What types of edits do you usually make when you're doing that? So I don't go into quite as much detail as Aaron does, um, but I think the basics that pretty
0: much everybody needs to do are to adjust your lighting and color, like do some basic correction to make it look like you originally took it and cropping. And again, you know, we talked about framing, but cropping like allows you to dial in your framing so it can take out some stuff that's in the background that you don't want to see, get it out of the image, you know, maybe move your rider closer to where you want him to be in the image. So he's like riding into the photo instead of out of it, you know, putting him on a thirds line. And I always do those three things. Even if I'm shooting on my iPhone, uploading from my iPhone to Facebook or Instagram without even hitting the computer, I use basic editing tools, basic editing apps on my phone to do those three things, no matter what I'm uploading. So those are always the most basic items for me but one other thing I do try to do especially for my better photos is if I can't crop something out of it like if there's a power line in my photo that I don't like somebody left their bike in the background sometimes I turn to the clone tool and with the clone tool you can clone one part of the image onto another and can often remove those things that make your photo look ugly so again Aaron probably does a whole lot more than I do on average but I think those things are required for pretty much everybody.
2: Yeah, cropping is a, a huge one, like you said. And just to touch on that again, that can really help you move around that focal point. So like you said, you can get the rider or whatever you want. You can get it on one of those third lines that I was talking about. So that's the rule of thirds. So everyone go look that up. Um, but basically, it divides the, the image into, into thirds, you know, so it's nine... I guess nine squares at that point. And where those lines intersect are essentially where you want your focal point to be. Those are just where the eye is naturally going to be drawn to. So yeah, crop out that stuff in the background. If there's someone's elbow in there, like get rid of it. If there's that's a big one, the like Greg said, the bike in the background. If you're if you're stopping and sessioning and shooting photos, make sure your bike is not in the background, you know, put it behind you. Um, so you're not shooting towards it because I've definitely done that and ruined some otherwise good photos by having, you know, my bike there, or maybe I left my, you know, hydration pack there and it's just, you know, you get back and you're like, shit, well, <laughs> you know, you can crop it out maybe sometimes, but that um, maybe you crop out, you know, part of the image that you didn't, didn't want to, but yeah, be ruthless, cut down the image until it's just, you have, only what matters and only what's strongest and only what makes makes it uh, a, something interesting to look at.
1: Yeah. One of my pet peeves is the bike f- photo. So where you're taking a picture of a complete bike and, you know, the move is to have it look like it's just, you know, magically levitating. But a lot of times photographers will use like a stick or a rock or something to like prop the bike up. And I always try to edit those out. So yeah, I'll use the clone tool to like erase the stick but then another pro tip um is to use what's called catch and release and i think aaron actually taught me this method but basically you need a partner but somebody holds the bike and you start snapping photos and they take their hand off the bike and before it hits the ground you get your photo um and then hopefully the person catches the <laughs> bike so, so
2: catch and release and catch <laughs> yes yes
1: <laughs> yes but yeah it's more like release and catch yeah but, um but yeah, and also oftentimes you're going to have to crop out the person. There's, their hand is going to be like inches away from the bike before it falls. But yeah, that's a pretty good method. If you're like selling a bike or, you know, you just want some, some photos of your bike because it's your best friend, then <laughs> that's a good way to do it.
2: <laughs> and only take pictures of your bike from the, from the drive side, at least if that's your one beauty shot. Don't do a beauty shot of your bike with the non-drive side. It's just not a pro look. Yes. Pro tip.
1: <laughs> okay, so now we have the perfect bike photo. It's been edited and processed, and it's ready for the world to see it. So what are some of the places you guys like posting your photos or where places that people can post their photos and get a lot of views on them?
2: Mostly MySpace. <laughs> no, just kidding.
1: MySpace is for the cool kids.
2: Now, the, lar- the second
0: largest social media website in the world is Instagram. After Facebook and Instagram is strictly a photo sharing site like that's all you do on Instagram so it is like the most obvious place to put your photography skills on display and I've actually become a really big fan of Instagram over the past few years and it's fun it's really simple it's hard for people to bitch about politics Um, so I like posting my mountain biking photos there we already talked about the Single Tracks Pod feature, but again, just to give you guys a heads up, I look through all photos uploaded to Single Tracks and highlight the best ones for our photo of the day. And if you include your Instagram handle in the caption, we will include that when we post it to Instagram, so you get tons of followers, which is fun times. And of course, our Pods go out via our Facebook page. Uh, Which has over two hundred thousand followers. So, posting your stuff to single tracks is a great tool as
1: well. Yeah, one of the maybe lesser known places to post photos that I like to use is actually Strava. So, I use it regularly. Pretty much every ride that I go on, you know, I'm tracking my my GPS coordinates on there. But um, you can also upload photos from your ride, which is kind of cool. So, the people that you're friends with on Strava, the people that you follow, can see what the ride was like, you know, I always look like looking through other people's photos too, to see like, what was the weather like that day? Or like, what's, you know, what's this new trail that I've never seen before. So yeah, Strava is an interesting place too. You can also connect your Instagram to your Strava account. And if you post
0: during or shortly after your ride, it'll automatically pull in your Instagram photo to your
1: Strava and save you a step, which uh, can be good. Cool. Well, we just barely scratched the surface of mountain bike photography. There's a ton to learn. And as you could tell, the three of us are also constantly learning, trying to get better at our mountain bike photography. There, As Greg mentioned, there are plenty of resources on general photography online. Uh, but you can also look on single tracks to find some articles that give specific tips for mountain bike photography. So definitely check those out. That's all we have this week. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you again next week. Peace.